And instead of yelling or threatening or punishing, connect. Connect with your kids instead. Hi, we are Colleen and Colleen, and we have made it our mission to spread kindness and make everyone feel like they belong. So each week we will share real life stories, motivating insights, and helpful tips that will inspire you to live a kinder, happier life. We believe that together we can make the world a much better place. Are you in? I'm in. Let's do this. Welcome to the You Fit Here podcast. Hey guys. What's up guys? It is CB. And CS. And we are having our first threesome today. (laughs) That's what you just said. (laughs) That's so creepy. Um, But our first duo interview on the podcast, which is You Fit Here. Welcome. Welcome. Oh, Jinx. Welcome. Jinx, buy me not a Coke. (laughs) I forget the rules of Jinx, but I'm going to look that up. See, okay. all the things we're relearning. Relearning. And today, topic. you guys, we have my sister, Sam, on the podcast. Sam has taken a deep dive into learning all things parenting, from respectful parenting to building a connection with your children, and you're going to love this. I think some people are not really sure you know, what kind of advice could someone offer me that could actually help me through this time? But the thing I love about Sam is she is so good from a distance in my case, and she is very soothing. You will find that she has Mm -hmm. a very soothing presence, but she has just done so much work and is willing to share what she has learned that has worked for her. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that there's any reason why we shouldn't just try her methods. I will tell you that I have been trying her methods And three of the things that I've implemented have helped me tremendously. Yeah. All of this is just, it's the perfect time for all of us who are, you know, venturing into this new thing and frazzled and stressed out and not knowing if we're doing it right. So she is kind of reframing our thoughts and reminding us what truly I think we know deep down in our core and we had to share it with you guys. We're really excited to do that right now. Yes. So welcome, Sam. Welcome, Samantha. Samantha? I don't even know a Samantha. <laughs> Actually, I've frozen too. Oh, gosh. Okay. Hi, Sam. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Okay. So, <laughs> Sam, tell all of us, because my intro, you know, it was great, but tell us how this all kind of started and how you dove into, into all of this. So for me, this all started when my son was about 18 months old and we were at a party and he was running around and he tripped and went face first into the leg of a coffee table and my son's crying and I rushed over there and picked him up and started comforting him and all of the very well-meaning people around me at the party started saying, it's okay you're okay. Some people were clapping. Some people were saying, walk it off. (laughs) And I started to feel that my son was scared and he should feel scared if that's how he feels. And I went home and I started doing what I'm sure a lot of moms do is starting to second guess what I was doing. So I'm the only person in this room not telling my son it's okay. Am I doing something wrong? So I did my typical, 
general Google search, how to support my son's emotions. And it led me to respectful parenting. And I started my journey with respectful parenting and I couldn't get enough. Then it led me into, there has to be research. There has to be more information because, you know, when you're pregnant, I feel like there's a lot of support and a lot of resources for parents. Everyone's looking to help. The doctors give all this information, so many classes, but then suddenly when the rubber meets the road and your kid turns like two, where's the help then? Where's the information? Totally. My goal was I'm going to find this and I'm going to find research because I want concrete information. I want information on not just one or two kids. I want information on hundreds of kids across diverse backgrounds. So I went deep. (laughs) So I've kind of gone all across the board, uh, respectful parenting, conscious parenting, research-based, attachment theory, everywhere. You name it, I've learned it. (laughs) And I've tried my best to take the best of all of those things and implement them. And the crazy thing is, is that I had never even heard of any of those things until you told me about them. Like any of those terms, respectful parenting, like obviously you would, you've heard those words, but I've never known that that was a thing that I could even look into or learn about until you brought it to my attention, which is so crazy because there's so much information that so many of us, I assume, have just been missing out on all along. I, I say to people all the time, like, no one gave me a book on how to do this. There's not a book out there, and you're proving me very wrong. I mean, it's funny, <laughs> but it's there are. <laughs> well, and you know, there's there's so many books out there, and there's so many books that are, you know, they're not based on research, and they're not based on science, and there's a lot of opinions out there. So, you know, you go to the parenting shelf, and it can be so confusing because there's so much stuff. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got a method. But for me, I had I want stuff that's supported by research. I want stuff that's supported by science because for me, that's that's where that's where the gold is. <laughs> yeah, it is so I want true. The gold, give me the gold. Yes, everyone with from pregnancy through on, like all of it. You have opinions, but who's to say? Susie is better than Sally or Sally is smarter than Susie. But when it's based in research and science, then you're like, okay, I have some concrete, you know, stuff to work with here and can feel, you know, prep, not proud. What's the right word? Um, More confident, maybe confident. Yes. In my decision making now. I feel like that's me. I have to know all the information so I can feel just confident in what I'm doing. And it just brings of peace to your life when you're like, yes, I I have a vision. I have an idea for my long-term parenting goals and how I can meet them. Yeah. We're talking or people who are listening are all over the board with all sorts of things. Some have no kids. Some have one, some have a dozen, and some of those kids are different from each other. And so we're not hoping to just like have you on here and you slap a band-aid over all those things. But I believe that in a time like this, when, you know, a lot of people just really aren't used to having everybody that they live with 
under one roof for such a long period of time, I just feel that a lot of what you know is going to help a lot of people. To be honest with you, when, you know, I heard about kids being at home for such extended periods of time and how parents are going to manage that, I thought to myself, this is my life. Like this is, you know, especially when we're looking at unschooling for me personally. And, you know, this is, I felt that I had information and resources and experience that I could hopefully help anybody out there. Yeah. 1000%. I first, now I have to say this, my sister is not one to push anything on anyone. She wants you to come to her basically, and then she'll supply you with anything I mean, tons of information that you need to know, but I started parenting before her and I started just by how I was parented and by how society parented kids. And that was just what I thought I had to do. And so when, um, I was dealing with some issues, I came to her and I was like, oh my gosh, I just need help with this. And she's like, well, I have information for you. And then helped me so much, but it was because I reached out to her and I told her, you cannot keep this information from people. Like you have to put it out there and whoever wants to take it, take it and run with it because it was so helpful for me. And Colleen, I know you've gone to Sam with some questions and so many of my friends have just reached out and been like, can you help me with this right now? Or just give me some ideas and tips. And it's been so useful. So we had to get her on here because this is the perfect time. Ready. Yeah. We want to help you. By Sam helping you. Yeah, we're going to help you with (laughs) Sam's knowledge. Um, So we compiled some questions that kind of we're all kind of going through right now, or you could be in a different way, shape, or form. And Sam's going to give us some tips and ideas to make this situation the best it possibly can. So we can all take a deep breath and work through this together. Okay, so right now, a lot of people who are either not used to working from home or maybe are used to working from home, but used to having kids in school are now having this constant, consistent time all together and trying to balance it. And I see a lot of things about how do I balance this? I'm trying to set up a whole classroom. I'm trying to do this. This is frustrating. You know, I've barely made it through day two of quarantine with my kids. How or what are some things that we could potentially be doing to create that synergy in our household so that we can all benefit how we need to. So I think my first tip would just be to reframe the situation as much as possible and remind ourselves that being at home with healthy kids is, we're thankful for that. So starting with the reframe um, of your kids being at home is step one. Um, Yes. Next, we'd probably be looking at fostering some independent play happening here. Um, I know that a lot of people um, might feel that screens would be unnecessary right now, and but for the longevity of this situation and how long these kids are going to be off of school, you know, we might need other, other resources. So um, for sure, talking about um, independent play, the first tip I could give is We just have to give kids the freedom to play. And it sounds basic, but once you get into some of the ways that kids aren't really free to just play, it starts to make a little more sense. 
Um, so first off, let's just quickly go into toys. Um, in our house, the ideal is that adults, especially when it comes to a new toy, are hands off of toys unless they're asked. Um, because, you know, as an adult, we open up a new toy and we take it out for our kid and we show them how to put it all together or we show them how all the buttons work and everything it does and we think they're going to have a great time with this. But we essentially just took all of the fun out of the toy because we showed them everything it does. So kids can lose interest very quickly if we're showing them everything about a toy or teaching them how to play with it. Uh, yeah, I have a whole house of toys that are not played with because the experience has been ruined <laughs> by me. When I first learned about Child. this, honestly, I went and bought like a couple like just random new toys to test it out. Um, and so my best example of this was I got my kids this little car ramp. It's this little wooden ramp and it had all these little pegs and this little car just rolled back and forth down the ramp. So I set the toy out on the floor and had the little car next to it. My kids woke up. I didn't say anything. And they went over, explored it. And I kid you not, it took them weeks before they knew what the toy was quote unquote meant for. But in those weeks, my children turned that into a ledge for their other toys, um, like almost like a track for their little trains, and they turn it into a slide for their stuffed animals to move down, all with this one toy. And ironically, the only reason they found out what its actual quote-unquote use was for was because another kid came over and just sent the card on the <laughs> right away. <laughs> but they f played with that toy for weeks because it became an open-ended toy. And mm -hmm. when we say open-ended, it means it has many uses. Um, so we're talking like blocks or magnetiles or, you know, a toy can become many things, can be used for many things. Um, we also, then we create longevity with a toy. Um, you know, the other thing that can happen when adults are kind of, I'll say, intervening with the toys is we can unintentionally show a child what they can't yet do. And I say this because, you know, those boards that they sell where they show kids how to zipper or lace and tie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before we knew this, my husband and I got those boards for our son. And one night just sitting there playing, like, here's how you lace this together and tie a bow or such and such. And 10 minutes later, I see my son, who this was not at his developmental level yet, struggling and crying because he couldn't get the lace through like we had shown him. So we now just showed him something he can't do that's supposed to be with his toy instead of letting him work with it. And then one day, maybe he'll lace it up. Maybe he won't, but he might have fun with this toy. So the next day the toy was gone. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's so true with like a puzzle or Legos when you're following the directions. I am very guilty of it paining me when like, the Lego's not snapped on exactly the right way or they grab the wrong thing. And I just want to finish the freaking Lego book because <laughs> I need that weird satisfaction. And now I've taught my child. I don't believe that you can actually do this. So I'll just do it for you and we'll be done because my patience level is at zero. And now guess what? $34.99 in a Lego set is 
ruined forever because I didn't let them just use their imagination and play with it how they want to. Yeah. Ruined, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, ruined. shush. <laughs> and you are teaching me right now that I don't know how to pronounce ruined. You know that my husband says I say that word wrong constantly, and clearly we learn the same way. Okay. <laughs> it's our parents' fault. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. Ruined. But, for example, CS said in our previous episode that her kids created their own Lego Masters competition thing in their basement to just free play with Legos and free build and have fun. And it brought back that like excitement. She sent a picture of all of them sitting together, creating their own masterpieces, not following some book or like taking over. And it brought back the excitement of that toy because it wasn't so, this is what you have to do. This is how you have to do it. This is the outcome we need. Yes. Yes. It was bliss. Total bliss. Lego's perfect open-ended toy. Um, Adults have this need to complete things, you know, puzzles. It's almost painful for an adult to walk away from an unfinished project or like, and for kids, if we leave that puzzle there, they might work on that puzzle for the next couple of weeks until they're finally able to do it on their own. And, you know, I'm not, of course, we're not saying that um, we don't want to play actively with our children. Of course, when um, they're there, we want to be almost an observer and we want to follow the lead of the child and do what they're asking us to do with the toys instead of you know kind of taking over. Another thing that's so important is helping. So like you were talking about being painful, sometimes you'll watch a kid who has something stuck or something that's just almost there and it is so hard to watch where you're like, if I just twist this thing and get this out for them, then we can all move on. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes the kids aren't actually asking for help. Even though they're struggling, they're not actually asking us for us to take over. And then we kind of just take over and do it for them and show them that they couldn't do it themselves. Yeah, 1,000% guilty. Guilty. (laughs) damaging my children no 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 hey i didn't start out in this this wrong <laughs> no see this is we're growing and learning together yes yeah you know the other thing too when it comes to um kids um who are they when they ask for help you know we don't want to fall into the trap of saying no you got it you can do it yourself because we're kind of potentially sending a message saying that we're not there to help you or we're not going to help you. And we want to be thinking long-term. We want our kids to know that we are there to help them. And we want them to have that message of, I can always go to my parents when I need help. So that, you know, that message gets set ingrained for when they're 16 and they really need help. with <laughs> They're coming to the mom and dad as opposed to a friend. So we want to model that we're going to help, but I call it maybe strategic helping. So we're going to try to meet the child where they're at. So the most basic example I can give of this is a little, like maybe a toddler, reaching up on a counter that's too high for like a sippy cup. If that sippy cup is physically out of their reach, rather than going and just handing them the sippy cup, just go and slide the sippy cup just to the point where they can reach it. Now they just reached their own sippy cup. They had their own accomplishment. They did it, but we brought it into where they're at developmentally. Totally makes sense. Those two things that you were just talking about, I feel like 
the middle is the ground that we want to try to walk. So it's not taking over and insisting that, that we help and that we can do it and that they can't. And it's also not, not helping them if they should ask for it, but it's kind of like a, a middle ground. I really like that. And sometimes it's even like a verbal prompt. So, you know, let's say a child is um, used to us intervening or um, not as used to some of the more independent play. So when they're asking for help with something that is within their level of development, we might even just use a verbal prompt. So like if um, they're trying to fit a puzzle piece and they're asking us for help to do it, we might say, hmm, I wonder if we could move that piece a different way and see what would happen. You know, just giving some kind of verbal prompt to get them to like think about it differently. Mm-hmm. And not just take over. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. then we're, we're not, then, then when they get that puzzle piece in, it's still their accomplishment. It wasn't us putting it in for them. Yeah, I love that. When you, what we're talking about, if you're at home, obviously getting through this time together and you might not be used to it. So this is fostering independent play for them. Do you believe in like setting a timer or setting something or no? I'm seeing all these people like, this is going to be our homeschool schedule. From 930 to 10, we're doing this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I would be stressed out right now, let alone my child who's at home, like he's not in his classroom. So this is not his world at the moment. So in, in terms of in fostering that independent play, I definitely make sure that if we want to promote this, that we're not interrupting play when it happens. Um, because imagine you're at an office, you're in a, your office and you're working and someone just keeps coming and knocking on your door when you're really focused on your work. That's the same thing we're kind of doing with our kids. We're like, oh, time to do such and such. And we break that attention and we break that focus on the play. And then we're we're taking them out of their their mode, their flow with it. Um, so definitely don't interrupt it. So like when we maybe loosen up on some of the schedules. So if you're really wanting to promote, you know, that that independent play, you know, don't if it's lunchtime. Instead of saying, call me at lunch, let's go do it, I like to set it on the table and say, your lunch is there if you want it, and then they just go whenever they're ready. It, and when you do this, it, you know, for, again, for kids who aren't used to that, um, give them some time because the shift will happen, and you do get to the point where you can't stop them from playing. It almost it almost works backwards where I'm like, we need to take a bath at some point today, but no one's stopping here. And right. So it really does get to that point where you can't stop them from doing it as long as we let it happen. And give them your tips on how can we kind of use what we have right now to create these situations for these upcoming weeks. So this is what I would do. I would go and I'd get a bunch of different baskets if you have them or containers. And I would go and take a bunch of like what we like to call loose parts and um, of course we're looking for parts that are age appropriate for all family members of the household (laughs) choking hazard wise Mm -hmm. Um, but we're looking at these loose parts Um, so we're filling one bin with legos and or one basket with legos and then we're filling one with you know any kind of little little trinkets or we have these little wooden rings or um, another one with magnet tiles you'll find stuff that they may have gotten bored with but that they Mm -hmm. can create with and then take those baskets and don't put it in their playroom or don't put it in their normal play area. Put it somewhere totally different or totally new. Like if you have bookshelves in the living room that aren't normally for toys, set the baskets up there 
it's so everything's in a new place, new order. Then when your kids wake up in the morning, when they come downstairs, don't say, go play with this stuff or look at what we, what we put out there. Don't say anything. Just let them walk over and let them explore and do their own thing. They're going to be so fascinated with stuff that they've probably already played with <laughs> because it's just a new environment. It's, we've just given life to things that they've been bored with. But so, you know, after a couple of days and rearrange the baskets or find anything. I make, made the joke, like, my kids played with plastic hangers for seriously 45 minutes. My mom came over and the stuff they were doing with some plastic hangers because we they were free to use them. <laughs> like, just anything you can find around the house will become interesting when we set it up that way. So this is so funny because when I was raising my puppy, when she was a puppy eight years ago, I was like, she's getting so bored of the toys that we have for her. <laughs> and they said, you know, remove most of the toys, leave out a toy, and then swap it out. Like, bring in a new toy, put it somewhere else. And all these tips I was given to have a puppy, <laughs> but not a child <laughs> in my house. So I should have taken the dog training a little bit to heart with my own children. Um, so say we're setting up this independent play, and I have been guilty now. I have since changed this in my own life because I've learned my lesson. Thanks to you, your advice, Sam. But I would come into the room or look up and there's Sharpie on my walls and like scissors flying at each other's heads. I mean, not really. But what advice could you give them and me again to avoid setting them up to fail? Like how to buy buy time wisely because that's what we are essentially doing when we come upon those messes is it's like I don't care what you do with it I got to get some work done and it's it's stressful and you know so yeah guide us so we like to set up what we call a yes space and this doesn't have to be a huge space um, but just a part of your home that can be set up so that it's not only physically safe for the child, which means that um, we don't have to be yelling from the other room, don't climb on that or don't grab that, it's going to break. So not only physically safe, but safe from us having to either intervene, like I was just saying, or safe from us getting upset. So that would be taking those art supplies and removing them from the yes space so that we know that whatever they're playing with in that yes space is safe and they're not going to get in trouble for it. And it's not going to be a huge thing for us to deal with later, like scrub and Sharpie. <laughs> yeah, that works. Even. <laughs> but, but yeah, so setting up those, those spaces and um, just letting them go with it from there. Yeah, we kind of set up our basement this way, where we have an older couch that we just don't care about. It's so old. And we had a family party and the children were jumping on the couch and but it's all cushiony like everything everyone was physically actually safe and i heard aren't you going to stop them from jumping on the couch and i was like no this is their couch to jump on like they know they're not going to go jump on someone else's couch but this couch is like their pseudo trampoline and i'm okay with that <laughs> but obviously i was teaching other children lessons that maybe their parents didn't want them to learn but that's okay um so speaking of the yes space i'm i want you to talk about snacks really quick because you have this really great 
concept of food overall in your house and talk on that and then how we can adapt it to like our yes space or our day. So it's not, can you go get me a snack? Can you go do this? Can you, you know, all that jazz. Absolutely. Um, so for us in general in our house, food is available and accessible for our kids to eat no matter what time, no matter what quantity, because there's a lot of studies that show that kids are born with the ability to regulate their caloric intake naturally on their own. They know what their body needs. And as long as we don't interfere by, you know, saying just one more bite or finish your plate or, you know, clean this or, or finish this before you get X, Y, Z, as long as we don't intervene, they're going to eat barring, of course, any medical concerns, um, what's right for their body. And that's what keeps them of having that. My stomach feels full. I stop when I'm full. Um, so in our house, what does that mean? That means that anything that comes into our house is available if they want to eat it. So that means I know that if I'm going to bring in a special treat, if they're for us, as I know this is a stretch a little bit, but if they're asking me for me for breakfast and it's in the house, it's available to them. So I'm going to give it to them because sometimes if we turn around and we say, you can't have ice cream until after you finish what's on your plate. Now we just told them not to listen to their own bodies for how much is right for them for food wise. And then we also just valued the ice cream over the other food. So mm -hmm. it's funny where we'll get like, you know, my mom will bring over a special treat and she'll, you know, some people would say, Oh, you can wait till after dinner. Well, I'm going to give it to them after dinner anyway. <laughs> so they can have it when they feel they're ready for it. But I know that this takes a lot of um, kind of preparation on the parents' part of having choices that are acceptable to them within the house. Mm -hmm. So, you, and you know, if, of course, if people want to modify this for like snacks, maybe um, having certain shelves in the pantry that are accessible and the kids can eat any of them when they want and how much mm -hmm. they want. Yeah, I have this happens a lot in my house where dessert so to speak, has been valued as something amazing, which it has in so many of our houses <laughs> growing up, that I became the bad guy for trying to limit the amount of which because it became just such a thing. And I'm like, why is this food or dessert? It's such a thing, a topic, a stress for no reason. Like, if we can just remove that definition we put on that food... Mm -hmm then it's just food. It's not a big thing. And this is me as an adult. People always talk about having snacks in the house. Like they can't because then they can't control themselves. And I always said, I always would keep tons of snacks because I just knew they were there. So I never felt like I needed to have them. Mm -hmm. But I want my kids to feel the same way with whatever food we have in the house. And then them as adults, that food is food to fill them up and nourish them. But it is not like a thing that they have to mentally be comforted by or be stressed about eating too much or what they're eating. I want them to just think of food as just what we put in our bodies to fuel us and not this like stressful thing that it is in our society of dieting and weight loss and all this crap. So if we're not totally there with our whole house being fair game because my husband and I need to get that situation under control. <laughs> But we could totally implement 
the shelf or the yes space, almost like the yes space for food where it's anytime it's fair game, go when you're hungry and eat it and kind of break them of this mindset of I can't have this or I need to finish this. And yeah, I like it. Absolutely. And then, you know, my, my friend, uh, used to come over her playdates quite a bit and the kids would just rotate. Can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? And finally I was like, wait a minute, why am I not just setting just a full buffet out of yeah. snacks that they can choose whenever they want, how much they want. And it takes away that stress. Cause think of how much stress parents feel worrying about you know, mm-hmm. what their kids are having or how I'm much doing that tomorrow. Yes. It's, it is so freeing because there is no stress in our in our house about food. There's just none. There's no we're not worried. They know what's my kids even say it's they'll finish their plate and they say, that's what's right for my body. <laughs> <laughs> and they're they don't even have a like we were having snacks at their house once or like uh ice cream sandwiches. Um well, you know, special ice cream sandwiches and they got it and they were like, I want to have my treat now. And so they opened it and they literally took a bite and were like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> like they were just where my kids would be like, oh my God, give me it every bite of it because I'm not going to be allowed to have this <laughs> for another day. The, the fear. But the fear of it being taken away. And they were just like, I've had enough. Like I had okay, a bite when, and I was like. When you say special though, you mean like No, healthy. I just mean. No, I mean dairy free due to it's just like the way no one can see your face and I'm like going like hmm, are we going like Mike and Dave did wedding dates type (laughs) or no dairy free dairy free due to health health (laughs) I would I would like to comment quickly that C C B last week I had like twenty five pimples which meant I was wearing ten band aids on my face that was a slight exaggeration but. Just like off the cuff, she's like, you know, you should really try and give up dairy this week. And so I haven't had dairy in like what? Almost two weeks. Yeah. And how's how my, good is your complexion? My skin looks pretty <laughs> flipping good, you guys. It does. So, anyway. so this all started because my beautiful niece Finley just tested positive for dairy to not be in her life at the moment. And then Sam being Sam jumped down this rabbit hole and was like you know what we're all going dairy free and also all of you should too (laughs) if you want these changes in your life and I already been like lactose intolerant and I was like yeah I'm doing it and so now I spread Sam's messages and then I'm like I totally get credit for (laughs) no I, I know where it came from (laughs) okay i'm just kidding if it's a good idea i know it wasn't yours i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) totally totally okay well i love this and i think we can all implement that for sure creating yes i feel like we could have a whole nother episode about the food though but oh my god i know not enough time i know but yeah i feel like if anybody has questions please like don't hesitate for sure I mean, there's just, it's keeping everyone, well, this actually leads me to our next question, keeping the energy, like the snack idea and the yes space, we're taking all of this tension. And I don't know how many of you like have seen the posts. I made it through day two of quarantine and my kids are expelled from school already. Like they can't deal and it's so stressful, which 
I can 1000% relate to when we first started our company and as we've grown, trying to figure out how to make this happen, it is so stressful. And when you have that stress, your kids are so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> like they can, they know it, it because they feel it. And then you feel like a horrible parent at the end of the day, every time. So Sam, what can we do to not feel like a whole parents? <laughs> um, so currently we have parents who are understandably really stressed and anxious. They're changing schedules. They're changing work environments. And that they're opening up Facebook and reading 10 articles and then hyperventilating like myself. Yes. 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 And it is leaving us feeling triggered at, if not many, at least some parts of our day. And mm. now we're pairing that with kids who are at home. And not only is their environment changing, but their schedule's changing. And now they're picking up on the change in their parents. And when we're triggered, we're going to be re responding to our kids or reacting to our kids in ways that we might not ideally be doing easy enough when we're not triggered. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, our kids, they're going to react to this. We are going to see changes. We're going to see it even in subtle ways because there's a shift. They feel it and it's coming. So what I would propose is everyone, if you go in expecting reactions from your kids, you know, some of the younger ones expecting meltdowns, so some of the older ones you're expecting any type of change. So when we go in expecting that, it's going to help us be prepared to respond calmly. So when we do start to feel that anger, that frustration, those types of things bubbling up, and we're going to, what I would ask us to do is to stop yourself in that moment. And instead of yelling or threatening or punishing, connect, connect with your kids instead. So the other night I saw a shift in my son and, you know, started seeing a little bit of aggression on his part and everything. And Immediately, I stopped and I said, grab a game. We're sitting down. We are playing the game. And my son was back to himself <laughs> in a matter. And we connected and we cemented that relationship. Um, what I would propose is that every parent, if you are experiencing any type of stress or um, anxiety, and we all are, take a piece of paper and write in big red letters, connect in huge letters on one piece of paper and stick it in the place where you interact with your kids the most. So that when all of a sudden, because those, those triggers, those moments, they happen so fast and most, most times before we can even catch it. But when you have that big sign right in front of you that's saying connect instead, you know, grab a book, start reading. I promise you that's, if we can respond calmly and with empathy, when we model, if we want to see calm, we model calm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we're so used to thinking of ourselves on a different level as our children. Like they are somehow subhuman and we might feel these things, but they shouldn't feel them because they're just a kid. Well, no, our kids are feeling all of this stuff and overwhelm or change and having empathy for them and meeting them where they are. Like, I am here. I get it. I see you. It's so much different than deal with it or suck it up or 
any of the stuff that we've either done or seen and had modeled for us. And when you start thinking about your child as just another human, like it can change so much of your reaction. Absolutely. I love that. I did want to make one more side note um, with the triggers. You know, right now me saying it's easy for me to say, take a breath, pause and connect. Cause I'm just trying to give a very topical. If I can give any advice or ask anything of parents right now, it's to do that. But there's so much information right now about working on your triggers and um, kind of doing a deep dive into where those come from out there. So for any parents who are seeing this as a consistent thing, I mean, I recommend it for any parent because we all have triggers. It's, mm-hmm. No one is immune to this. And um, so we all have we all have those triggers. So there, there is information out there. There are resources out there so that when you're looking at the long term and handling this, um, but just for right now, if you could just put that sign up and know, just expect those kids to react, expect them to express emotion, expect that to happen, we can respond differently. Yeah. And even if it doesn't happen every time, the one time that you can do that, see, like, look at how you feel, how that makes you feel, how it makes your child feel, and then you're more inclined to want to, you know, okay, that wasn't that easy, but I, it will get a little bit, maybe not easier, but you'll get better at it. Oh my gosh. It never yeah. gets easier. You just get you better. Just get better. <gasps> not on purpose. So really quick, I just wanted to say a few things about emotions um, because when I'm asked, telling people to expect this, you know, we're going to be expecting emotions and stuff coming from our kids. Um, So just a really broad overview here. Most of us were, quote unquote, taught by how we were parented that um, expressing emotions and crying are uncomfortable. And how are we taught this? Um, You know, when we expressed emotion, we were either distracted to stop crying. um, Look at this shiny new toy. Or um, something gets fixed for us, um, like a parent rushing to build a tower back up if it falls over before the kid cries. Or we're shut down and, you know, that's the typical stop crying, walk it off, you're okay. And so what is this doing? It's, um, it's number one, it's causing kids to repress those emotions. And number two, it's causing kids to not trust their instincts. So here's a child thinking, I feel hurt or scared, but people are telling me I'm okay. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't feel hurt. You know, so now we're starting to question our internal feelings. So if I could give anyone the advice is if we can become comfortable with crying or expressing of emotions, life will change so much, not only for the child, but for the parent. Mm -hmm. What can we do instead? We can acknowledge and empathize and just be there to listen. Because let's say we have two scenarios. So let's say you go to your best friend and you are just crying, and you are so upset. One scenario is your friend just starts yelling at you. Just stop. You're fine. Stop crying. How uncomfortable do you feel if that's your friend saying that to you? But then in the other scenario, how- She she gone. Yeah, right? She's not my friend right? anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> but then Fair. How- Facts. Facts. But then how supported do you feel when your friend says, I hear what you're saying and I understand how can I help, you know, when we can respond that way, almost as if we would to a friend, 
it's incredible, but we want that for our kids just as how we would want to be treated by a good friend. A real quick example, if if people want to know how that looks um, with my daughter, she fell on this trail we walk on and hurt her knees. And um, later on that evening, we were sitting on the stairs and she said to me, I fell on the trail today. And I said, I saw you fell. And then she said, I was scared. And I said, that would be scary for me too. And then she said, but my body, it will heal. And then I said, it will heal. And she's two and a half. Like this is, she's two and a half having these conversations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we're just acknowledging what's happening, when kids are upset, you know, just be there. We want to be the ones that they come to when they're upset. We want to be the ones they come to when they have a problem or make a mistake. Uh, We want to be their rock. We don't want to minimize what they're saying. We don't want to just fix the problem. We don't want to shame them for how they're feeling. You know, we want to show them that I love you no matter what. And I love you when you're angry. And I love you when you're sad. And I love you when you make a mistake. I love you because I'm here for all of it. I unconditionally love you. And when we perceive kids that who are melting down as having a hard time, it gives us the space to respond with empathy. Not they're giving you a hard time. They are having a hard time themselves. And if we treat them like the friend we want, who treats us with respect, then they know, like you know when you have that person, I can go to them with anything. And we don't want our teenagers to be in a bad place and feel like they can't come to us because we're going to shut them down or scare them or, you know, do all these things to close it off. You want open floodgates. I don't know if that's the right word, but that open relationship where you're going to be there regardless of anything and all of your feelings, just like all of mine as an adult, like I hope actually another frozen two quote that we have not dropped yet. And I just re-noticed it the other day. Kristoff, when he goes to finally, he not finally, he finds Anna after he's lost in the woods and he just like swoops her up before the rock giants crush her. Oh, yeah. He literally the says to her. Or the yeah. moose. Or... Yeah. On, the reindeer. On Sven. Sven. Yeah. yeah. I, he swoops her up <laughs> and he's, how do you not know this, Colleen? Okay. <laughs> just kidding. I'm, it's, I'm, it's later here than there, okay? <laughs> okay. He swoops her up. And he literally says, I'm here. What do you need? And I was like, Christoph, can every husband on the planet take note of what he just said? I am here. What do you need? And she tells him and he does it. And I was like, that's a turn on, Christoph. <laughs> I have goosebumps but, all over my body. I, <laughs> yeah. But think of it like your close friend, your significant other, your sister, like, You want them to be that person. I'm here. What do you need? So why wouldn't we want to be that person for our own children? Out of everyone in the whole wide world, like we want our kids that we created to feel so confident in themselves and their relationship with us. 100%. Kristoff. Perfect. Even if we didn't create them, that's a thing. Also, like I sometimes have more... I sometimes have more and like, I don't mean to say this in a bad way. I love my kids, obviously, but sometimes I have more patience with other kids and that brings me back to, okay, yeah, I want to be like that 
for my kids. If that, if that, even, I, I, I don't have a lot of experience makes, with a lot of kids, but no, that makes total sense. It's like when your friend's kid is crying and people would always say like, it doesn't bother anyone else, but you, because you're triggered by it at the moment because of you're whatever out. reason it's making you uncomfortable, <laughs> but to no, to anyone else, it doesn't affect them. So it's you taking that into your own home. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I like all of those comparisons of people okay, that we so, encounter. Yeah. Last thing, because all of us make mistakes. We still end the night sometimes thinking I'm the worst mother in the history of ever. And I hate myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do we do when those things happen? Especially as we're transitioning to this thing. It's so easy to get caught up in how we used to do things or talk. So when we have these moments, what can we do? So like you just said, we are all human and no matter how respectful or conscious or whatever we are parenting we're doing, we are all going to react at some point. We are all going to do it. So I say wait for the heat of the moment or the storm to pass and then we repair. So we're, for me, it's an apology. Um, What better than to model for your child how to apologize when necessary? That's how kids learn to say, I'm sorry, and to to feel that way, is to have it modeled for them. Rather than us saying, say you're sorry to another kid, it's watching that modeled for them. So Mm -hmm. for us, it's an apology. It's explaining what I'd like to do differently next time. And then we're problem solving together. You know, if you base what you're doing on problem solving and working together as a connected relationship, that is respect. That is love. Yes. Yes. 1,000%. I'm telling you guys, my kids will be like, Auntie Sam, can – well, they don't even say Auntie Sam. Sammy. (laughs) Sammy. Can I have a play date with you? Like, just with her. (laughs) Like, her alone. Not with any of the kids. Not with me. And then the other one will be like, well, after he has a play date, can I have a play date with you, Sammy? Like, they feel so loved and respected by her that, like, it's just this equal understanding situation. And then they'll be like, I hate my mom. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) We're working on it. Making me But I'm telling you. You're making me look horrible, Sam. Can you? So you're really just making just us all want to be better and adapt. Yes, because when you know something, it's like the thing. Once you know something, you're never not going to know it. Yes. So there's no hurt in listening and learning. And our hope is once you know something, you do something about it. You know, you yes. You it's it's in your it's in your power, and it's gonna speak to some of us, and it's gonna be like, okay, well, okay, but then what do I do about this? Because I have twenty five kids, and they're all perfect except for number nineteen. I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) but but you know, like there are obviously circumstances, but um, I think this was really really beneficial and awesome, and I just think it was great. Yeah, I agree. I kind of rushed. Sam to start an Instagram page because she has so much information. I'm telling you guys, this is like the bullet pointed of bullet pointed version of advice and tips she could give, but she has helped me through so many things. So I kind of rushed her to start an Instagram page 
just so we could get this podcast out here today. But she is going to share videos, share thoughts, share tips, helpful advice. And you guys all have to go follow her at The Unconditional Mama on Instagram so that you can keep up with it and send her messages and get information. And I'm just, you know, telling everyone to go find you, Sam. Love it. Without your permission. Love it. No, <laughs> we are we are here for anything. Happy to help. I'm following you. Oh, there we go. Did that that sound as creepy as I hoped? (laughs) Yeah. She's going to be like, what did you guys get me into now? (laughs) It's just too good not not to share because all of our little humans are going to be out in the world together someday. And we just freaking hope that it will be it'll be better for them it's yeah so- and Sam just I, I know we can't we can't go on and on forever but if you ever wanted to like write up a little like thing about what we can what we should expect from our kids on the other side of the yes room in terms of cleanup <laughs> that would be helpful to me because if I'm overreacting I want to know <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Well, that will be our next episode. Clean up time. I just want to do the next right thing. Yes, another Frozen 2 quote. <laughs> I think I might go watch Frozen 2 now. <laughs> and just look for that scene with Chris. Thank you so much, Sam, for Sam. opening yourself up and sharing your wisdom with all of us. I know people are going to get so many good takeaways out of this episode. And you know, actually think about these things when they're in the midst of chaos at home these upcoming weeks. Absolutely happy to be here. I thought you were about to say happy new year. (laughs) It's like, oh, happy new year to you. This is kind of like a new year. So let's go. Yeah, let's do this. (laughs) Thank you, Sam. Bye, guys. Bye.